I'm happy to introduce our moderator for this evening, John Healy. John Healy is a member of the editorial board of the Los Angeles Times, which means he is one of the nameless, faceless group writing screeds that, technically speaking, reflect the views of the publisher, whoever that happens to be at any given moment. <laughs> His main contributions to the editorial pages are pieces about intellectual property, technology, the economy, regulation, and general business issues. He also created the BitPlayer blog in 2006 as a way to write more about the collision of entertainment and technology. BitPlayer is now part of the Times technology blog. Prior to joining the editorial board, he spent five years as a business reporter at the Times covering the entertainment technology convergence. As a result, he spent the bulk of his time writing about lawsuits. Other career stops include stints at the San Jose Mercury News, Congressional Quarter, and the Winston-Salem Journal. Please welcome Mr. John Healy. Thank you. And uh, I also want to reiterate, uh, thanks for your patience. We had some microphone difficulties, which I hope will not reemerge. Uh, this is a follow-up to a panel we did about a year ago, uh, right after the writers uh, reached their contract, where we talked about the issues that they faced. And then we decided to come back uh, about a year later. Uh, we figured that SAG would have a contract by now, and we could take sort of a global view. Um, that's not the case. We are going to try very hard to look forward here, talk about how the changing uh, market opportunities interact with the labor agreements, how those labor agreements inform and guide the industry going forward. It's still a work in progress, obviously, so, but we are going to try to spend less time on the past and more time on the future. And we have a great panel here today. I'll introduce them from closest to me to, further to furthest away. Dimitri Shapiro is founder and chief information officer, innovation officer at VO. Um, David Ginsburg, executive director, entertainment and media law and policy program at the UCLA School of Law. He is a, has a long history working in independent production and he's a former president of Artisan Pictures. Uh, next to him we have Catherine Justin, who's a member of SAG and AFTRA. She's a working <coughs> actor. Uh, most recently, you might know her as playing Karen McCluskey on Desperate Housewives. Next to her, Kim Roberts-Hedgepeth. She's National Executive Director at AFTRA. Jonathan Handel, he's an entertainment attorney at Troy Gould, and he's author of the Digital Media Law Blog. Uh, and then finally, Ron Ostro. He's an actor, uh, SAG and AFTRA member, working actor. You may remember him from many TV roles and also most recently uh, in on the big screen in Charlie Wilson's War. So I thought I'd start off with, with Jonathan, uh, talking about how we have gotten to this point. If we could very quickly recap the deals from the uh, writers to the directors up to the point that, that after started negotiating. What were the main issues? This is about a year and a half ago when these negotiations started. What were the main issues and uh, how were they resolved? In 120 seconds or less. <laughs> <laughs> There's that's not that many. That's, that's a challenge, but the, um, uh, we, we started really in, in, in great heat, as it were, back in the summer of 2007. Uh, the Writers Guild negotiations were uh, not going very, very well. The big issue uh, was new media. And um, there's sort of three categories of new media. Uh, there's so-called move-over, which refers to television programming or in some instances also uh, movies that are then made available on the internet via um, download or streaming. Um, and the real distinction actually is whether it's user-paid versus ad-supported. Uh, secondly, there's derivative new media, which is new media based on, as a spin-off basically of, a, of an existing television program. Third is original made for new media. And um, the uh, studios wanted to essentially eliminate residuals, turn them into a form of net profits, which usually means nothing in Hollywood. Uh, the Writers Guild, uh, and, and they wanted to study on new media. The Writers Guild wanted a variety of, of, uh, of things. What happened was the writers were essentially forced out on strike. The Directors Guild made the first deal. Um, uh, I think under some pressure from the writers, the deal was better than it would have been. Uh, the deal at the time was hailed by some people as groundbreaking. Uh, I thought it was good, but not great. Um, SAG uh, started expressing very early on some of the criticisms uh, that they had of the, of the deal. Um, AFTRA made a, a deal that, um, uh, I'll, I'll defer to Kim of course, but in many ways I think followed the pattern that the directors and then writers deals followed, um, at least as to new media. 
And um, the IA, representing below-the-line workers, made a deal that is similar in some ways as well. Uh, SAG did not make that deal, as it, uh, under, particularly under the prior management of SAG, as it were, objected very strongly to the, uh, to the new media aspects. Now, I know I, I tend to have some tunnel vision about these things. Uh, and we're going to pay a lot of attention to new media tonight, but, but we don't want to give people the impression that, that that was the only or the most important, necessarily the most important thing, that, but that was a, a flashpoint. Well, it really was the biggest flashpoint. I mean, DVD was something of a flashpoint. The, uh, the DVD formula is 25 years old now and is very disfavorable to talent. Um, the writers um, abandoned an attempt uh, to, uh, to, to do better on DVD. Uh, the directors, I don't think, pushed on it. Um, after, as far as we know, didn't, didn't, didn't push or didn't push hard or eventually uh, passed on that. Uh, and SAG was unable to make movement on that, and it's, it's not felt that that's going to, you know, something's going to change. Right. So new media really has been the big thing until most recently the deal that SAG uh, rejected. Uh, the big issue for the current SAG leadership in that deal is that the deal would be a three-year deal, which is typical of these, uh, of these deals. But what SAG was hoping for was that the deal would, would be coterminous uh, essentially with the writers and AFTRA uh, deals in 2011, which it would have been if the deal had been done a year earlier. So there was disagreement as to whether the deal should be three years on the one hand or whether the deal should pick up where the old deal expired on the other. The reason it makes a difference is that with SAG separated from the other unions, particularly uh, from writers whom they've tended to be natural allies with, uh, SAG would have a very difficult time striking effectively because all of the other unions would have gone earlier, would have gone in 2011, set up a pattern, and SAG, I should say, would have a difficult time negotiating effectively because you'd have this pattern that had been set much as it was set uh, this year. Uh, SAG would also be alone in terms of the option, taking the option of striking. And it really deleverages SAG enormously, and that's why you saw a rejection by 73% uh, of the board uh, of this deal. The 27% of the board uh, in the last few days that uh, did not vote to reject the deal, my understanding is that most or all of them uh, wanted a stronger rejection and perhaps a strike authorization vote to be sent out. So I think it's fair to say, although we have some SAG board members here, maybe they'll comment, maybe they won't on what went on in the boardroom, but it's fair to say that the SAG board is fairly unanimous in rejecting this deal. Let's uh, focus a little bit more on new media for a second. One of the reasons that there was so much debate over new media is it is a bit of a black box in terms of the future, where how much revenue it represents, the kinds of things that people are going to be willing to pay for. Dimitri, this is your world. Uh, VO, is it entirely advertiser-supported? Have you tried to do any a la carte um, or, or subscription? Uh, yeah, today it's today it's it's all advertising um, driven. Uh, we played around early in the company with kind of pay-per-view model, but um, I think it's very difficult on on the internet to implement a, a pay-per-view model with the availability of content kind of everywhere. So, I believe that on the internet, content wants to be free. And okay. And do advertisers want to be there? Do they want to be paying you? Uh, well, yeah, look, they, they have to be there. I mean, advertisers will, will go wherever the consumers are. That, that's what advertising is all about. So the consumers go to new media. That's where advertisers are going to go. Now, th there are all kinds of difficulties in those dynamics, right? The, the advertising business is a very complicated business that's been around, obviously, for many decades and, and have their way of doing things. The, so you've got the brands that have their way of doing things. You've got the agencies that got their way of doing things. And, and moving on to new media is, uh, is quite a challenge for them. They're doing it. Um, some of them are really embracing it and, and taking advantage of it and, mm -hmm. and, and um, really innovating, and the rest are just kind of being pulled and saying, and well. And that's why you've got such a gap between the amount of time people <coughs> are now spending online and the amount of advertising exactly. that they're exposed to. They're, they're, uh, advertisers are staying on the traditional even as the eyeballs are leaving. That's true. I mean, look, obviously digital advertising is a huge market and getting bigger every single month. But yes, specifically video advertising, which is what I care about, not, not display advertising or search advertising, uh, that is taking longer to, to get to uh, digital than obviously I would hope. But I'll tell you that every month is a record month for us from a revenue standpoint. Even in this economy, we continue to, to make more money. Uh, and you know, I obviously hope that that continues. David. Um, 
can you talk a little bit about why we have pattern bargaining? Because the situation for SAG now is that they're at the end of the line and, and they don't like the terms that other people have agreed to. Why should they be expected to accept that? Well, let me address um, a couple of things first because I, uh, the, um, my role here may look like I am somehow speaking on behalf of production and because I come from academia, although I've spent some time in production, I just want to sound very academic and say that I like to fully disclose. <laughs> I, you know, I have, I have spent the first third or so of my career as a private practitioner representing uh, as often a talent as I've represented uh, producers and then I spent about 10 or 11 years in full-time production as a producer. And then eventually I ended up uh, uh, briefly uh, sort of in the studio system and finally uh, now in academia. But I don't have any brief on behalf of the producers in any formal sense. To get to your question, um, I was interviewed uh, uh, a couple of days ago by one of the major news services about pattern bargaining. And, and the analogy I gave is sort of like this. When jets are crossing uh, North America, they, they, the, uh, the air traffic controllers and the pilots like a, a fair separation. Uh, for safety reasons and for all kinds of other reasons, they don't want them getting too close or, or, or there, because there's always the possibility of collision. And from an, as Jonathan's already touched on this and, I don't, and, and, and done so very eloquently, but the, the, the basic concept is that if you have coterminous agreements for the major unions at the same time, then they uh, mutually acquire a, a, a power vis-a-vis -vis and as seen by the producers that they would not have if they had some separation, number one. Number two, I think for a reasonable period of time uh, beyond the June 30th, 2008 uh, uh, end date of the old SAG agreement, I think the producers would have been satisfied. They may not have thought, found it ideal, but they would have lived with the fact that the WGA had inched closer in time to the uh, SAG uh, start and end date. But as time has gone on, as there's been uh, no, no agreement forthcoming in almost a year, or soon to be almost a year. I think it is, I'll just say, I think it's natural and certainly I think to my colleagues and at least some colleagues in the panel, predictable that this issue of, well, wait a minute, we're not going to enter a two-year contract in an industry where we've historically entered a three-year contract. And I understand at the same time why SAG resists that. It's, 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 it, both sides have a completely reasonable, if inconsistent, viewpoint. Kim. Talk to us about uh, what AFTRA was looking for and why you accepted the deal that you did. Okay. Um, well, just as a little bit of an overview, um, you know, when you say the deal that AFTRA negotiated, um, in full disclosure, AFTRA negotiated about seven contracts last year, national agreements. Um, but the issues manifested themselves, they're basically the same themes that manifested themselves in different ways in all of these negotiations. Number one, is the declining economics in the industry, at least as it's trickled down to talent. Um, our members have suffered um, in the last several years in seeing wages compressed, salaries compressed. You'll hear actors talk about the fact that they can't make their quotes. So the issue of base economics, the minimums in the contract that create the floor for performers, has become increasingly important across all of these contracts as wages have gone down. The second issue um, that has manifested itself in all of our agreements is the uncertainty surrounding new media. Um, now that plays out differently in music than it does in radio and in television, but that is a theme that comes across. Um, I have to say that I really think it's important to give credit to one of the unions in the industry, and that's the Directors Guild, which two years before their negotiations invested a significant amount of time and money into doing forecasts about where new media was going to really get a sense of whether or not this was truly an evolving industry, still a nascent industry, or whether we thought in the term of this agreement it will have matured into a definable business model. Um, they were kind enough, frankly, to share that with the other unions. Um, our negotiating committee, which was made up of working performers, people who worked the contracts, um, really came to the conclusion from seeing um, that information, that at least over the short term of this agreement, um, the business models will probably not settle themselves, um, even though uh, new media will certainly grow, as we heard from Dimitri. Um, the real core center of this business will continue to be traditional media. 
So the focus of the negotiating committee, and based on what we had heard from our members, was to really put the emphasis on raising the base wages. Um, that's why issues like base scales being increased, um, actually above pattern in AFTRA's case, um, from what the DGA and the WGA had achieved. Um, increasing major role minimum, which I won't get into all the weeds on that, but is an important issue for working actors, was a key issue. And in the area of new media, at least establishing some core concepts, not necessarily where you want to be in 2011 or 2014, but at least establishing certain principles. One, jurisdiction. Two, that um, you have to pay for even ad-supported um, streaming. Uh, and, uh, and again, uh, making sure that there is some form of residual in the event new media product goes back to traditional media. So those basic key goals were achieved in the negotiations and the negotiating committee felt it was a fair compromise for what is a transitional period in new media and a time period in which making sure that we shored up the rates and conditions in traditional media was of paramount importance in this negotiation. Catherine and Ron, what are the things that you are most concerned about as, as SAG is continuing to negotiate? Where are your anxieties about uh, what you do for a living? And or what do you want to see come out of these deals? Go ahead, Ron. Well, uh, <laughs> since uh, everybody's having disclosure, I should say that whatever I'm going to say is my opinion. And I'm not a spokesman for actors in general, although I know that there are people who do agree with me. Um, also, my experience with new media is largely having the what's called move over, episodes of prime time that I've done, commercials I've done and moved over. But I've done uh, and spoken to a number of people who've been doing new media production. So the first part of the question is, obviously, the biggest concern that I have that really goes through everything, regardless of what contract we're talking about, is my ability to continue to make my living. I've been a union member since uh, the mid-'80s. I've made my living either exclusively or substantially from this business for over 20 years. I've done, and not just, uh, I've been on Broadway and movie and TV series, uh, a wide spectrum. And what I've been seeing is, as the time goes by, it's harder and harder for me to make my living. Uh, wage compre salary compression, very concerning. Inability to make my quote from job to job. Less jobs, I just gave five hours of prime time real estate to, to Jay Leno. Um, but what scares me about new media is I'm watching uh, a friend of mine's webisode. Very funny little show called Ti Gorgeous Tiny Chicken Machine. Uh, and my friend who I did a national tour with, who's an Oscar-nominated actor, is on this, guest starring. Non-union job. They got like a buyout for a couple hundred bucks. It's promoted by Sony. And when you watch it on Crackle, you got to watch commercials. Now, I'm not... Uh, we were talking a little bit about this before. I don't come from the place, and again, this is me, I don't come from the place that says, just because somebody else is making money, i got to have my piece of it too. That's not where it comes from. What I say is, when something makes money, I should be f compensated reasonably. I would say fairly, which is a, a, uh, a, a buzzword that might cause some some uh, trepidation, but I should be compensated when other people are making money. We can leave a discussion about how much that should be. And that happens between our union and also our agents. But what shouldn't be happening is places out there where professional actors are working for free. That's my opinion. And that's when, when, when you say, when Sony says to me, gee, I don't really know if I'm going to make any money on this later. Why don't you just bear with me? I say, you know what? I don't know if you're going to make any money on it later either, so pay me now. <laughs> okay? And pay me something now, and if it turns out that you make more later, then you pay me more later. But to say that it's experimental, I'm sorry. I couldn't fast forward through the commercial. I had to watch it. Well, I didn't have to watch it. There was no gun to my head. But I, I could. It, that's the way it, it runs. And, you know, so my concern is that uh, my ability to continue doing what I've spent half of my life doing, I, I'm, I'm not going to be able to do it anymore. Kathy? I think my major concern is the uh, growing discord. The, the disagreements on what is going to happen and how to face it. Uh, the inability to uh, find some level of agreement within the union 
so that it doesn't get ripped apart. Um, the, the, the tensions are very high, the angers are very high, and, and we are not achieving anything by not listening. However, the listening has to, we have to, we have to learn to negotiate with ourselves because it can't be, okay, I'll listen to you, but you gotta do it my way, <coughs> um, which is where we've, we've almost come to. Um, the compression in the industry is just tremendous, and I cannot see the, the, the roles being increasing. Um, we're getting smaller and smaller uh, casts. The background is getting smaller on shows, um, more reality, more game shows. Scripted material is disappearing. I mean, look at Broadway. In the 40s and 50s, there were shows all over the place. Now there's, what, half a dozen. It's all compressing, and I don't know where it's going. I do think there might be opportunities for actors to do something on the new emerging media. I don't know what it is. I think we need to explore it and, and, and vigorously explore what we might do and create ourselves. I'm curious, uh, this is for you and Ron, I guess. Uh, do you not feel that as individuals, uh, you have the ability to say to somebody who's producing something for new media, you know, these are my terms, I want to get paid up front. Oh yeah. I, uh, the, 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 we're, we're looking at, Kath, Kathy is, is an Emmy winning actress with a tremendous uh, uh, recognizability. And if I were a producer and I saw Kath, Kathy walk in the door, I have more than just a question, uh, about if I'm going to cast her, about what she brings as an actress. I'm also thinking, hey, if I get Kathy Juice in my, my thing, people are going to take some notice. Kathy's got cl some clout there. I don't. So I, I was on a series for two years, which I, no, nobody out in this audience is going to know what it was. <laughs> and, and um, you know. And somebody uh, called you on that. Well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> thanks a lot. The point is, and, and Kathy, we're talking about it. Kathy, Kathy, and I don't mean to steal. It's Kathy okay. has said that that she is will not lower her quote. I have been doing it for the last two years. I have a wife and a son to support, and I'm not going to take a chance about it. And I could. I, I have had friends who have said, um, you know, uh, 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 they were going along and said, you know, I, it's time for me to stop taking those stupid little co-star parts. I'm only going to do guest stars. And they sat at home for a year and didn't work, and it paid off for them. I, I can't do that. So, you know, so I, uh, you know, if there's anybody out there who I'm going to be auditioning for, I've just given away the store. I'm, I'm going to say yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe we should make that off the record. Yeah, so can we edit that out, please? Um, so what then can the union do for you and for you, Kathy, if you're talking about jobs disappearing, um, casts shrinking, scripted material going away. I think we could, we could develop, um, we could develop programs to start searching out ways to use new media to our advantage. We could start to think about uh, forming uh, production. We can't be producers. <laughs> you get into that producer actor, you know, who's, who's the boss and who's, who's getting paying paid who. Um, but we, we need to start using new media and exploring it instead of just being terrified mm -hmm. of it. Uh, we don't know how it's gonna, how it's gonna <coughs> phase out. I mean, we don't know what's gonna happen five years from now. We could uh, say, oh wow, who would've thought that would've happened? Uh, we just don't know, but we need to start exploring it and getting into it. Th there's a, a very good answer for, for that. From, again, from my standpoint, <coughs> I, I depend on my union. Now, there was a big discussion, and I don't remember, uh, honestly, where it stands in the negotiations right now, but there's a big discussion about the producers were saying that they wanted to negotiate, I think, clip usage up front. Instead of uh, what now happens is you get your, your contract, and there's a little box that you sign your initials for, and you're, you're agreeing to the terms. Um, this is not very specific to, to this. Th this. This is talking about uh, uh, um, them being able to if, if, I'm sh if they're making a movie and they want to use an episode of, of a TV show that I was on uh, in the background on Sopranos, they've got to call and ask my permission. And then they probably are going to pay me scale, 
but uh, at least they have to ask me first. What the producers were saying they wanted to do is negotiate that up front. Well, when you negotiate up front with a guy like me, again, that's not a negotiation. That's a take it or leave it. Because what will happen is, uh, if, uh, unless they're so god-awful in love with me, they're going to go to the next person who's going to say yes. So I need my union to protect me from myself. I need my union to say, I'm sorry, there are certain questions you can't ask Ron. Okay? I'm his conservator of these minor issues, and you can't ask that. And when my union abdicates that responsibility for its weaker, and I'm not the weakest, I, you know, for its weaker members, then it is doing a tremendous disservice and ceases to be a union. And that's what I'm looking and, and because my agent can't do what my union can <coughs> do for me. Right. David? Yeah, I just wanted to, uh, to make an observation, and, 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 and if you hear me through and, and not react to the first part till I get to the second part, I think you'll find there may be some common ground, and that is I, I am personally and genuinely sympathetic to the, to the situation that Ron talks about, but I think that we have to take notice of, of a couple of things. One is there are people all over the country right now w who figuratively or literally are losing their quotes or worse. So if you put, you, you, you set against the economy of the country, uh, it, unfortunately the notion that some people in some industries are not meeting their quotes doesn't ring uh, like a terrible tragedy set against the, 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 the entirety of what's going on. I think, however, what you're saying, this is what the second part of it is, is that you, 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 I think fair people might be willing to consider lowering their quotes if they, were, if they believed it was for a just reason and in a just context and one that, would, that, that fairly balanced the interests of the, of the person who works and the person who employs. And I think that's where the conflict lies in the entertainment industry right now because there is not a sense that the claims made across the board, let's say, by the producer side justify the result being asked of the performer side. I, I, let me, oh, ahead, yeah. uh, we're dealing with multinational corporations that give two hoots in hell about us. We are a blip. I wish we had tremendously more power. I don't know how we can get more power against that kind of thing. You look at, the, at, at yesterday's, you had the, the winning thing was a British film financed by France shot in India. There wasn't one American in it. All the, the, the two supporting actors were Australian and, and British. Uh, these things are being made all over the world now. I don't know where our power will come from. 122,000 people in this country, I don't know that we can do it. Um, <coughs> it. It's very discouraging knowing that with multinationals like GE, or, or um, Rupert Murdoch, they could care less about us. But at, at the same time, and I, I'm not a producer, uh, I belong to no union, nor have I ever belonged to a union, and quite frankly, I actually My quite honestly know very it. little about the production side of the business. What I do know is that this medium, this new medium, uh, today is, is, is trying to be retrofitted <coughs> to act like old media. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And to your point earlier, what it really requires are new business models, new formats, and experimentation. Uh, and experimentation, by the way, that you guys should get paid for. And if I could give you like any good news on this panel, it's this. The dynamics of production have changed dramatically, technically, you know, over the last 10 years, and con continue to change every single day. I can go to, you know, in the small, and go buy an HD camera, go buy some lights, right, go buy a microphone, produce a show, nonlinear editing software that used to cost a quarter of a million dollars and required SGI workstations, now ships free <coughs> charge with $500 PC you can pick up before leaving the small. And the one thing that you cannot get, there are plenty of people out there that will hold the camera and hold the mic and write the stories, but the one thing you cannot get, you cannot manufacture is talent, right? And if you've got that talent, then what you have today is the, the ultimate power. You have the power to go and produce for yourselves. You may not have the giant budgets. You know, go find some dentists and, and lawyers, right? The, the way they used to do it, I hear. 
right? Go, go do it that way. Why do you need these big studios? Go produce. There are lots of people today that are going out and producing this content, right? Maybe you're not going to get your giant paycheck day one. But if you've got time to invest and you, and you build that craft and you learn to produce it and you build your team of people around you, then you've got a business of your own. You've got your own studio. And that's the value. That's the thing that I want to tell you that new media is. Nobody has to green light you anymore. You can do it right now. You can go broadcast tomorrow. Tonight, go home and produce something, right? I recognize some of you folks, right? <laughs> go do it. You've got that capability um, to do it. That, that's the beauty of new media. It's, yeah, the, the flip side of that, and I, I, I agree with all that. The flip side of all that, though, is um, I, I think content creation, including creation of audiovisual content and newspapers, obviously, with you know, all respect to, to the employer of our, you know, of our moderator. Um, we like to call it dead tree media, actually. <laughs> dead tree media. <laughs> well, the hope is that it's dead tree media, not dead tree media. I mean, the difficulty, <laughs> the, the difficulty for anyone involved in content creation is that there's so much more content available now on the Internet. So there's a supply and demand issue. It's true that there, is a li there are a limited number of professional players and of name brand actors and actresses, but content doesn't have to be a perfect substitute in order to be competitive. The time that someone spends watching you know, an amateur, uh, a prosumer project on YouTube is time that's not spent watching something on Hulu. Um, the time that people spend watching something pirated, because there's obviously a culture of piracy on the internet, is time that people aren't spending watching something that's revenue generating. The time that people spend uh, doing other activities, like texting, like doing other things on the internet, like watching video games, all of those things, it's not only true that you have a limited amount of money to spend coming to the theater, but you also have a limited amount of time. And so there are so many more alternatives. The time you spend reading you know, John's newspaper and all the other newspapers online, all of those things. So there are a lot of reasons why I'm uh, honestly, at least in the short term, pessimistic about content creation. And I think this combines with um, the fact that the studios, you know, as, as Catherine said, are, you know, are no friends to, um, to, working, uh, to working actors, to working talent. They demonstrated that pretty dramatically when they said, you know, we don't care that there's a new faction in town running the Screen Actors Guild. Um, we're going to grind you into the dirt. Uh, they demonstrated that 25 years ago when the home video, or the home video residual formula was set and even as that business became more lucrative, uh, the studios didn't share anymore. It's a very small percentage formula. And um, the studios, to some extent, are reaping the whirlwind of their own greed mm -hmm. uh, on the, in that formula in particular that then triggered the degree of mistrust that the unions have uh, for, uh, in, in terms of dealing with new media, even given that, you know, when I look at it, certain aspects of new media are much more, um, if not experimental, they're much more economically much less economically meaningful right now. And I, I looked at this and said, you know, the 3.5% increases, the synchronization with the other guilds three years from now, those are the things to focus on. There was another faction of the guild that felt more strongly about the new media deficiencies and said, no, these, this is what we have to hold out for. Uh, but it's a very uh, toxic and difficult combination of ingredients that, I, you know, my concern is that we're going to see this kind of uh, labor uncertainty and pressure on labor uh, over the course of the next decade because as much as we look at new media and say, you know, this is new media, well, two, three years from now, what we're calling new media won't be new media. It'll be somewhat mm -hmm. older new media and there'll be new new media. And so yeah. these kinds of uncertainties are going to arise again and again and again at three-year intervals. And when you have contracts desynchronized like this, it really means every two out of three years almost on a continuing basis. Okay, Ron wanted to jump in yeah. and yeah, Kim just two, and David. Two quick things. First of all, um, the, the thing about, uh, th there's a big difference between what you put on YouTube and what's on Crackle and stuff like that. And, and the thing is, um, uh, actors are always going to do things from, from casting director showcases to 99-seat theaters to making their own videos, anything for free to get attention. That's on the one hand. Sometimes those things pay off. Uh, some of the things that have been picked up by Crackle and things like that started out as being done free and move over. I, for, for really, for the purpose of our conversation, you know, uh, it's, it's the things that are being uh, uh, studio-driven that really stick, okay? Because mm -hmm. uh, uh, you, you always, just like writing a, a script 
on spec or writing a, a book and trying to get an agent to a publisher. We're always going to be trying to create our own content, and you can't uh, um, necessarily uh, regulate ha people's creativity. You have to be able to deal with what happens when other pe things get involved. But th this other thing, and this may be rather controversial, this to, to what David w was, was saying, and that is I really don't care whether anybody out in the world is sympathetic to whether or not my requests are reasonable. I don't question when a carpenter says that he's got to only work a certain number of hours and he gets paid double time for certain things. They, there's a history to it. It's their business. I said before our, our, our meeting, I personally think that the entire discussion of grosses and actors' salaries and all the sausage making does a tremendous disservice. It takes away from the enjoyment of the thing. It becomes about the business. I, I, I don't care. What I care about is when uh, I, 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 when, when I came, there, there was one day that I was coming to the wages and working meeting for the commercial contract, and outside was a carpenter saying, greedy SAG actors. Okay? What that told me was he doesn't really understand. Okay? Because it's not about greed. It's about trying to have a, a, a working uh, a wage. And I would never protest uh, my unit caterer saying, how dare you try to uh, have a decent living? So, uh, I, I, you know, anybody who talks about whether it's fair, it, it's smoke and mirrors. Okay? It, it, that, and uh, that's just my opinion. And if I'm, you know, nobody agrees with me, that's the way it goes. <laughs> well, I, I would say that I wouldn't want to so quickly um, dismiss the um, potential in the future for um, actors and other performers to really be their own content creators. I mean, you look at what happened in the music industry where to a certain extent the record labels have created such an inequitable situation for the artists that um, as the barriers to entry began to fall by virtue of technology, they had to find their own way to, cr to control their own destinies. Um, it is true that um, even with, the, with those efforts, um, the major record labels are still the major drivers of distribution, um, and that's probably where the big money is, and I would say the same thing will be true with the studios and networks for some time. Because they have the ability to market and stand They have the ability the to market. They have, you know, basically the big bankroll for that. Right. Um, but I would say even in, in the context of our negotiations, the after negotiations, we have also um, heard from the new generation, the younger performers who are getting involved in the wages and working conditions and in the negotiating committees, somewhat of a different perspective um, and perhaps a little more comfort level, if you will, with new media. This is a generation of people who've grown up with it. Um, and so I think they see potential in it um, that perhaps those of us, like me, in an older generation uh, don't quite see. Um, that said, for I think the short term, mm -hmm. um, the studios and the networks are still going to be the major players. And the point that David made about the employers um, creating a situation where um, the, if you will, salary compression or the, the constricted economics do not necessarily jive with what they're saying to their shareholders, you are going to continue to have these tensions. And I think this last round of negotiations perhaps was a learning experience for everyone that if we are to avoid um, the kinds of tensions that have developed by virtue of all of these factors, the uncertainty over new media and the compressed economics, then we do need to have a different structure where the employers understand that there's a level of transparency, there's a level of, if you will, living up to the commitments um, that they have made in this round of negotiations that will be necessary to avoid the kind of, I think, tensions that Jonathan is speaking of in the next um, next round of negotiations in the round you're after You're not that. saying that the studios aren't transparent, are you? <laughs> I would never <laughs> say such a thing. David. <laughs> well, just a, a reaction to two things. Uh, the first is the, the Kathy's comment about uh, who we saw uh, um, awarded with uh, Academy Awards last night and the countries they're from. I, I must say, I, I regard the motion picture business as, as, a, as part of a global uh, competitive industry. And I think at the artistic level, for anyone to complain that in any one given year, some artists are from Spain or from Australia or from Britain, first, 
it doesn't bear out statistically where those awards have gone in the past. There have been best directors from countries all over the world, and I, I just think that I, I just want to make the observation. I don't I don't know how much water it holds to say that it's a it's a measure of anything that last night a movie that was uh, 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 financed from all over the world won best picture. I think if you actually look at the uh, presentation and copyright notices of m most of the movies made uh, and released in the United States this year, you'll find there a strange amalgam of financing sources. Put another way, if you look at the financing sources at most of the studios, or many of the studios, you'll find that they, when you actually sift out how much of their own corporate cash they put up to make their slate, it approaches 50 percent. That's one comment. And then very briefly, but I, I think the alternative would be a species of sort of a, a, a trade war in labor, which I don't think anybody wants to see. But a final quick point. I learned something today. I, I observe my students. I always tell them, how many of you read the article in today, I really do say this, in the LA Times, and I say, I say of course, no one in this room is under 80, so of course none of you read the LA Times. But when I walk out and I look at them, I watched one of the students today, and here's what uh, he was doing. It was a he, not a she, it was a he. He was watching the Oscars on YouTube. He said, and I said, what are you doing? He said, well, I, you know, I'd sit there for three and a half hours and looking at ads and dance numbers. I don't, who cares? So I, I, I'm, I'm watching the acceptance speech. He had a list. He said, he, <laughs> I found the acceptance speech of best actor. I found the acceptance speech of best director. And yet, so he was watching it. So if, if you accept that environment is indicative of what's going on, you've got a lot of splaining to do out there. That, I mean, that's <laughs> what's really going on. And I don't think people of my generation ultimately get it yet, but I'm mm -hmm. slowly catching on. I am told that we have some microphones available for people to ask questions. Yes, uh, but I yes think we, we are now yes. opening it up to a Q&A uh, portion of our discussion tonight. And we want to remind you that this is being recorded for both video and audio podcasts, so uh, please state your name before your question. Wait for us to get around. There's two of us going around. So raise your hand and wait for one of us to get around. Um, also, at this time, our donation buckets are going around, and we do appreciate any and all of your support. You are in a movie theater after <laughs> all, and they pass the donation buckets around. The bucket should be with the microphone, actually. It should be popcorn bucket. Exactly. Get the bucket with the microphone. I have a question over here to your right. Hi, my name is Brian Dyer. Um, today in Advertising Age, it listed that advertisers, about 70% of corporate advertisers were pulling back their advertising. Having seen uh, the movies that come out and advertising placement to bulk up the fees that it now costs to make movies, knowing that television shows are made to sell advertising, and that's what gives advertising, watching new media um, look for advertising dollars because, as we've seen, piracy, I think, has been mentioned, and we don't realize the culture of piracy that's going on with people under 30 mm -hmm. because all of us in this room, I don't know if there's anybody under 30 in this room right now. Um, Multiplied by what? <laughs> my question, but my question seems to go that entertainment in the United States is driven by advertising. So what is going to happen when advertisers figure out they can cut out the middleman as the newer generation grows older and uh, go directly to content makers? Ron. Listen, it's happened already, and uh, there was an article in Variety uh, about a new show that Tom Arnold is doing on uh, the web uh, called Heckle You, which is uh, uh, made and uh, featuring Procter & Gamble products. Um, I did a low-budget movie where I was a reporter where the producer stuck a bottle of water in my hand while I was doing an on-camera report because he had a deal with the water bottle guy. I watched an episode of, of The Medium several years ago, which I wanted to make me vomit as I watched uh, Patricia Arquette and Jake Weber, two marvelous actors, having to discuss a plot point about going to see Memoirs of a Geisha. The that. entire thing, uh, uh, in tr 10 minutes of that show, was about discussion. They open up the newspaper. Wow. What should we do? To, why don't we go see that wonderful new movie made by our parent company, uh, Memoirs <laughs> of a Geisha? And then they cut to a commercial of Memoirs of Geisha. But so you, the fact is... You've got the interesting tension there, though, because on the one hand, it's an opportunity that could help you, but on the other hand, well, it's kind of making your the skin thing crawl. Is the, the truth of the matter <coughs> is, the truth, the, the truth of the matter is, it's unavoidable. It's the wave of the future. One of the points that came up in the contract negotiations was compelling people to participate in these things without their consent. 
Let's, we don't have time to go into the, that issue, but the fact of the matter is what's happening is it's returned to the days of I Love Lucy mm-hmm. when I Love Lucy was brought to you by cigarettes and uh, uh, Lucy and Desi smoked in the show. Then they did a commercial for the cigarettes. That's what it's returning to. That's the way it is. And it's really m- m- the, the issue, I think, from the, the actor standpoint that, that I'm espousing is that it's one thing when we... Uh, sign on for it and know what we're, we're up for. It's another one we're forced to do it. But the fact of the matter is it's, it's, it's happening now. They're putting it in, embedding it in. Uh, and so I, I agree with that. Clearly it's happening. But I think the reason you see it happening is because what you're experiencing is a reset of the medium. You're, you're experiencing the beginnings of a new medium that's actually similar to, to the old medium. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I can tell you th- the thing that VO has been doing a lot, same thing that YouTube is working on and all these other companies are working on, actually is in some ways much scarier than that, uh, but, but different, and that is targeting. Targeting based upon behavior. Not targeting you specifically, right? We don't really need to know who you are. And we really don't need to know what the piece of content is. Both of those things are actually, quite frankly, irrelevant. What's relevant is watching your behavior, and it's called collaborative filtering, and how your behavior matches to behaviors of other people. And if the advertiser simply wants to reach people that behave a certain way, we're able to provide that for them. And so the content itself becomes in many ways, unfortunately, this is the bad part, inconsequential. Whether it's a dog riding a skateboard or whether it's it's an Oscar-winning actress the advertiser, at the end of the day, at maturity, and by the way, that's not now, that's years from now, but at maturity, the advertiser will not care. Programming is the stuff to. between commercials. I'm sorry? Programming is the stuff between commercials. That's right. Well, the push well, becomes the commercial. The, 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 it becomes the commercial. Well, there's, there's, well, there's a couple of pushbacks on that. Well, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in, you know, in terms of programming becoming the commercials, um, you know, Ron, you mentioned consent on the part of the actor. There are two other aspects. Uh, all three of which the current contract offer get, does not give anything on. Um, one of them is compensation, which is if these commer- forms of commercials are becoming the, are pr- presumably ultimately the dominant form of commercial, particularly in new media, actors ought to be getting compensated for that for several reasons. One is if you're holding a Coca-Cola bottle, ho- Coca-Cola can in a, you know, in a, in a commercial, you're doing an embedded, co- in a show, you're doing an embedded commercial, actors get paid for that. The second thing is if you're holding a Coke, you can't get a Pepsi commercial in the outside world, in a normal, you know, in an old-fashioned style commercial. The third is even if you could get a, a Coke deal in the outside world, uh, they won't pay you as much because they already have you in character holding the Coke anyways. And at a macro level, if, if the entire business is shifting, and in fact, SAG is currently negotiating the commercials contract jointly with AFTRA, uh, SAG and AFTRA, I should say, are negotiating the commercials contract in New York. But the issue of product integration, as this is called, is an issue with the studios, and the studios gave nothing on it. They didn't even give notification, which would be the concept that the studio already knows that the role that Ron is up for is going to require a Coke integration. They ought to at least tell him when he's auditioning or before he signs so that Ron can say, at a minimum, he can say, you know, I've got a Pepsi. I guess I can't audition for this gig, you know, reluctantly. Or I'll have to somehow get out of my Pepsi commercial or whatever it might be. But they wouldn't even give notification, which wouldn't cost the studios anything. You know, and that to me underscores exactly where they are. You want to jump in here? Yeah, Yeah, I'm not going to say the words. I won't be able to say Pepsi at all on film. I'll say Pepsi, Popsy, Poopsy, Pops. Can't (laughs) say it. Now, if they're going to contract, they're going to fire my contract because I can't say the word, or I'll just say it. (laughs) If we all just refuse, and I know, yeah. But, you know, if they bring that in the middle of the programming and say, here, you're going to hold this and say this, I don't think I'm going to be capable of it. And I'll make it pretty clear. I have a contract. They're going to fire me on a contract that I already have uh, guarantees on. Uh, that's not going to happen. But you're in a position that Ron and other No, any actor mm-hmm. who signs a contract to do a part, and then they walk up and say, here, hold this bottle. You already have your contract. I well, but the reality is, I actually well, wonder uh, what the, no. the truth of that is because I'm, I'm contracted to fulfill my if, obligation. If it's in there before they, before they hire but I, you, I but if they, they spring it on I, you in the middle, they can't. I, the audience would like you to know that you're wrong about that. As a matter of leverage, I mean, most actors aren't going to have the leverage to do that. We have a question to your left. Hi, my name is uh, Ed Gutentag. I'm a cinematographer. You want me to hold it or are you going to hold it? 
<laughs> Great. You're a cinematographer. She, you're not trusted with a microphone, buddy. No, no, it's fine. And, and I'm in Local 600, and, and I like the union for two reasons. One reason is because I'm going to out some of my friends. Could you guys stand up? I'd like to, because I get to work with people like this, and I just want you to see who's here. Because, and the other, per the other reason is health benefits. Um, we started a group. You guys can sit down if you want. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we started a group um, called Let's Get Back to Work because we got kind of fed up with what was going on because, you know, we're not working. And, you know, I get to work with these great people, but I don't have health benefits anymore. And, um, you know, the other thing I wanted to say, because I really don't have a question as much as a couple of comments, that for any of the people that are negotiating for SAG, I have two recommendations for books. And the attorneys on the panel have probably read them. One is called Getting to Yes, Negotiating Agreement Without Giving In. And the other one is called How to Win Friends and Influence People. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing I wanted to say is I think this is great, but I think you're missing one of us up on that panel. I will, I will apologize for yeah. Yeah. the... Um, the actor uh, focus of this, that was uh, because what lately I've been writing about. So um, I should, it would have been nice to have somebody up from IA too. Yeah, there's a lot more questions to be answered. Sure. Sure. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have a whale of a lot of time. Can I, uh, we take your comment though and bounce it off the panel? Because one thing that, that he said, he's wondering about, you know, when are we going to have a deal? What do you all make of, of what happened, especially Ron and, well and John? What happened over this past weekend with, with, the, with SAG and, and the board? Well, not having been in the board and only having been able to, to know what some people have told me, you know, um, I, I think that, that Jonathan had a, a very accurate read on it. The, nobody's, nobody at SAG, even the so-called moderates, I believe, are jumping up and down thinking that the deal that was offered was a good deal. Right. The philosophical dispute seems to be very much about whether the disruption that this could cause to not only actors but the industry in general is, is, is a cost-benefit analysis. Is it worth it? And there's some people who said, you know what, in this economy, with the way things are going on, it's not worth it. And other people are saying, I'm sorry, I recognize it's a terrible economy, but you know what? I have, and I'm sorry to inter interject something like this, I have an autistic son. The only reason that my son is doing what he's doing right now and doing so well is my SAG insurance. If I lose my SAG insurance, I am screwed. So when you talk about losing insurance, believe me, that goes right to my heart. And that's actually why I'm so concerned about my ability to make my living. So I need to make sure that the, I get paid enough for the few days that I work a year since, uh, you know, well the, the conception, the misconception is, again, when I talk about the sausage making, mm -hmm. people talk about Jim Carrey making $20 million, t uh, uh, Tom Hanks making $10 million. When I work, and when I work at my quote, I make a lot of money. But the fact is, is that I'll probably work one day in a week. So while I'm making more than most people in a day, than most people make in a week, I might only make one week a, a month, one day a month. So. Um, it's really not about, uh, it, it's, it's not about the dollar amount, it's about the, the income stream. It's about really keeping uh, things happening. Um, so uh, it, it's a real terrific and terrible debate and, and you, you want to be responsible to the people that you work with and you want it, but you also have to be responsible to yourself and your family. So what happened this weekend, and I'm really sad about the fact that it didn't come out with 100% uh, uh, rejection. That was a real shame. Um, uh, and, and not only that, I think it was a real shame it didn't come out with a strike authorization vote. A real shame. I've heard the reasons why. There is soundness behind all of it. Um, they don't want to uh, uh, influence uh, adversely the, the contract negotiations, the, the commercial negotiations. They're afraid that um, they wouldn't get 75%. Uh, uh, you know what? If the moderate faction and the militant faction got together and both said, vote for a strike authorization, it would have passed. Okay, because the reason people, if they finally got up and said, we're at the end of the rope, where else is there to go, it would have passed. Whether this helps bring a resolution, I don't know. 
but uh, all that has happened by a 73% margin and no strike authorization is guaranteeing that the uncertainty that we're all feeling is going to continue for a while longer. Now, again, you know, that, that's my opinion. You have a question you, you to the back, to right? Oh. Let's, okay. let's get another Yeah, okay. Back here. No, not at all. Yeah, hi, my name is Matt Kimbrough, and actually I want to take the conversation in a different direction if I could. I'd like to ask particularly David and Dimitri. We've been talking around what I think is the larger phenomenon in the area of new media, which is the change in the cultural zeitgeist, particularly with people who are under 25, mm -hmm. and how they deal with what they regard, how they have fundamentally devalued what we have traditionally thought of as the wealth of our content and by creating their own content museum. And just, I would like to hear them, if they would mind, talk about the phenomenon that they are witnessing in terms of the way that our, our American culture, the way, our, our way people now view and treat media has changed as opposed to how we, are, we who work in the traditional realm uh, are still trying to cling to our old models and what they might see as, as, as some future trends. Now, are you specifically asking about um, the fact that millions of people are willing to take content without paying for it, or are you more... Well, both the fact that, both the, fact that the audience feels entitled to basically have free access to anything that they want to watch whenever they want to watch it, but we've also heard some comment about their ability to both take it, edit it, mash it up, reuse it, repurpose it, recreate it, create new things. It's a, it seems to be that in a Marshall McLuhan sense that we are in a much different, the next generation of people are acquiring a very different relationship with media than what we have had, what, what we are traditionally comfortable with. And it's no longer mass market, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a universal user market. And I'd like to hear the gentleman comment about what they witness and how they see things going. I wasn't alive, you know, uh, prior to, to the invention of television and radio, but prior to there being this mass media, uh, people told stories. They, they told stories to each other around campfires. And that is a compelling way of storytelling. And I think we're going back to that natural need for all of us as humans, not just you professional actors, but for all of us to say, we have interesting stories to tell. And uh, now that you have this medium that's open for you to be able to tell the stories to the guy and the girl sitting next to you or those people sitting uh, you know, uh, half a continent away, um, I think that, I think you're exactly right. I think it opens up a whole new way of consumers entertaining themselves. And by the way, it doesn't mean that I'm going to stop going to movie theaters. It doesn't mean I'm going to stop watching television or I'm going to stop listening to professionally produced and, and, uh, and professionally distributed music. Uh, but it does mean that my, my uh, daily diet is being augmented and in many ways cannibalized uh, by these new pieces of content that are being produced by my peers, not necessarily professionals, by amateurs. And those amateurs are getting better and better at producing. Now again, the one thing those amateurs may not have is in front of the camera, they may not have the same skills that some professional actors have. But behind the camera, they are starting to get some pretty incredible skills. Uh, and look, there are classes. I, I, I'm participating in a university where I'm going to be teaching a class uh, for people, regular people, to use the internet the way I use it, primarily focused on business. In that same university, there's a woman named Sunny Galt that's going to be teaching a one-day class that will teach anyone to produce made-for-internet video professionally. She's a Webby-nominated producer. She produces this video called Viral. Actually, used to work for me at, at VO. Professional producer, producer. She comes out of Fox. But she can teach the average person off the street in one day what equipment they need and how to do everything to produce a video from beginning to end and distribute it. That changes the world fundamentally. Now, what it does for it, I think it changes it for the better because I think it gives us true free speech. It gives us all kinds of new um, pieces of content for us to choose from. But absolutely, it is scary uh, from perspective of if you've grown up in the, that world where all of the dynamics you had mastered and spent your entire life living in, it is a bra brave new world. And, and you, know, you either adapt or, or you don't. But if you do, you have an ultimate opportunity to be at the beginnings of that new medium. Yeah. Truly be there at the beginning. Uh, two, two things quickly. To the, to the specific question, uh, there is both uh, uh, sophisticated empirical and, in my case, anecdotal evidence 
that uh, I taught a class last summer at UCLA for high school students um, uh, b before they entered college and uh, on, on basic copyright. And I asked them a series of questions. I said, how many of you think walking into a 7-Eleven and taking a Twinkie and walking out of the store with it in your pocket without paying for it is theft? And they <coughs> all, all raised their hands. And then I said, uh, how many of you think uh, finding a song uh, that you can right-click and download on the internet that you know is on the radio, uh, to, but you're downloading it to a, your MP3 player, is theft? And a couple of people raised their hand, but, but not all of them. And so the fundamental notion uh, of, of what constitutes copyright-protected work is something that is, to a degree, I think, uh, alien to uh, uh, people who have grown up using the Internet because the notion of, of it, it's not like they're picking somebody's pocket. It's on the Internet. It's there. They click it. They listen to it. They download it. They, they don't think of it as a taking. I, I won't go further on that point. The second point, very briefly, I think on, uh, to, to have a... a the, the, the bright horizon in all this is something that I think, I give a speech about, it's hard to believe, about 10 years ago where I actually thought that by now we'd be seeing the model emerge and it hasn't happened yet but I continue to believe that this will come to pass. And I think to a degree these heartless as opposed to sympathetic conglomerates out there that we've <laughs> talked about are, are a little worried about it and that's this. This side of, of, of Sony wants you to go and watch Sony pictures at 10.50 a pop in theaters like this. But this side of Sony wants you to buy a Bravia and uh, a 42-inch TV, soon to be, or in some cases with, a built-in hard drive so you can just watch the movie in the comfort of your home with, with, with either sophisticated or less sophisticated sound. What am I getting at? I think there is on the horizon the possibility of producing shows from the early amateur to the vastly more sophisticated to the independent film where like Stephen King, instead of relying on a publisher to publish a novel and use the distribution mechanism of bookstores to sell it, original mainstream entertainment will be marketed directly. And so the, the questions that have been hovering around about advertisers, and I think there's an opportunity and there's a, there's a foreseeable future where huge money can be made where the studios, as we know them today, will be bypassed. Mm -hmm. But right now, I think the, the, the more common model, the more common, common iteration, or the success story, uh, is somebody like Felicia Day, um, used to be on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. She does something called The Guild. Anybody mm -hmm. here seen The Guild? Um, the Guild is a um, web series, six minute episodes or so, it's in its second season now. She uh, writes it and shoots it. Um, it's about one of the things that she loves, video games, and the culture around video games. And uh, Microsoft and Sprint sponsor it. Microsoft because they wanted content for MSN, and Sprint because they figured the people who are tuning into that are probably the people who are buying uh, 3G uh, cell phones and, uh, and smartphones. And so nobody's telling her to put products in her stuff. They're not influencing the content at all. It's a sponsorship. Now, she considers it very successful, but her day job, as she puts it, remains acting. And she considers it a great success that this year, in the second season, she could actually pay the people who work for her. And it started out, if I'm not mistaken, <coughs> non-union, and it's now under an after contract. Right, right, right. And she said, again, she <coughs> couldn't, it wasn't going to be under a, a union contract if she couldn't pay anybody. But the point is, is that the, the sponsorship is allowing it right. to be a union job right. and mm -hmm. have union security, and theoretically, if it were in the contract, uh, residuals. I mean, again, you know, six percent uh, of nothing is nothing. So, but the difficulty, the yeah, difficulty, yeah. the difficulty also is that if it becomes or as it becomes easier for more people to produce content, um, you know, as I said earlier, there's more supply and and let yet the demand is constant. That means that the the CPMs, the number of viewers of advertising for any given piece of content is going to go down. So what the advertisers are going to pay you for this stuff is going to be small amounts of money, pay you the producer, and in turn, that puts pressure on what the producer can pay the actors. I mean, I think it's a very difficult situation for everyone. Except that if you look at the macro of it, which is that the, if, if there's a finite dollar amount 
from, again, this is, this, is a, uh, this is counterintuitive to my saying I want to make enough money to make my insurance. But if there's a finite dollar amount that advertisers are spending, it doesn't really matter to me that it gets spread out over a large number of actors. What matters to me is that it is spread out, that we are paid for it. So the fact is, is that the model may very well be that uh, people like me can't make their living uh, doing webisodes only. And I'm fine with that. But yeah, except, that know, television, but except that scripted television is disappearing, so how are you going to make I your do full time Because living? I do believe that, that there is cream rising to the top, and I do believe that there will be things that will be watched more than others, and the fact of the matter is very few people are going to be interested in a movie that I'm shooting in the basement of my uh, apartment building uh, compared to some other things. So I think that there always will be places where you can make some money. There, there's, a, there's a whole another interesting discussion about what the market for quality is, but we have somebody here who's been waiting very patiently to ask a question, so please. Uh, this will be the final question of the night. Um, if any of you have remaining questions, you can speak further with our guests on this topic. At our reception, it will take place out in the cafe. Thank you very much. I just wanted to thank the panel for uh, being diverse and giving us a lot of great information. And I just wanted to... Um, uh, be clear about the, it's not a, a, a question, but it's about the... Um, Could you throw a question on the end just for grins? <laughs> Is it not so? <laughs> there you go. Thank you. Perfect. Uh, uh, the, though that, that a condition of employment uh, will be in, in this contract, you have to sign. I know that, but I can also say, you know what, I'm going home. Well, you can. You, you know, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. You... you People say, the elitists, they won't step up, they won't come out. I'm going to say, no, I won't do integrated advertising so that somebody else won't have to do it. But Ron would, but Ron would still have to, even if you... Even if you we but we need... Yeah. See, understood Ron, that, understood that, but, but we've also got to step speak? forward and say no on occasion. I, that's what we're trying to do, Kathy. With all due respect, that's why we're at a stalemate, <laughs> because saying no for the people who can't who are not in a position to say no themselves. That's what the union's for. I understand that. Don't lecture me. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to let her have the last word on that. <laughs> 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 Thank you all very much Thank for coming. You. Uh, this Thank, was you, a great time. Thank you. Thank you.